Well, hasn't it good to finally be able to celebrate some moments that we haven't for a fair while, for about a year, to celebrate the life of people in our church and the fact that they're growing and learning and serving and we're excited by that. So it's good to be here. And yeah, for those of you at home, hope you've felt some of that excitement and been able to celebrate with us and we are so glad that you are still joining us. We're looking at an alternate kingdom and as Valda said and summarized the sermon very well in one line before she read the Bible this morning, this is very hard to do. <laughs> Love your enemies. Mark Twain, the author, was once asked, don't you have a problem as a Christian with all those bits of the Bible that you don't understand? Who's got some bits of the Bible they don't understand? Anyone? Yeah, I might be coming to some of you that didn't raise your hand for some advice because I'm a bit lost with some bits. But Mark Twain replied this. He said, it's not the bits that I don't understand that cause me problems. It's the bit that I do understand that give me problems. In some ways, we know what it means to love our enemies, but we don't want to. And I can relate to a lot of what Mark Twain was saying because some of Jesus' teaching is just so, so difficult to live out in our daily lives. It demands such a radical response from what we see and what we live in day in, day out. And this Sermon on the Mount that we've been looking at for the last few weeks, and we've got another few weeks to go. Phil's been preparing some good messages while he's been sick, and so we're going to have some good ones over the next few weeks. That just goes on and on with these challenging, very clear, very simple teaching about what it means but actually really hard to actually apply. Remember, we're looking at these radical teachings of Jesus, how they should reshape us. And our key verse today, as Valda said, and as, as I've said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, from Matthew 5, 44. Now, I, don't, I know what it means to love my husband and my family. And sometimes that's trickier than others, but generally speaking, it's pretty easy to love them. Generally speaking, yeah, it feels like saying, yeah, I win. He won't get a Valentine's gift. We're really not into any of those things. We're going to go to the soccer. That's a pretty good way to celebrate, right? And I know what it means to love my friends, the people who I choose to include in my life, who I choose to invest in. I know what it means to love them. But how on earth am I expected to love those people who have deeply hurt me in the past or who at the present time are trying to undermine me or are hurting my life through what they say behind my back or how they treat me, how on earth am I supposed to love them? The word enemy means, generally speaking, an unfriendly opponent. So an enemy might be someone that hates us or that seeks us harm um, or, or seeks to cause us trouble, but it also can be someone that's wronged us in the past. An enemy can be someone that's just on the opposing side, so we might not even know them. Someone that has a different view or value or belief to what we have. And there are lots of areas where we can't find enemies. And if you can't find them, well, it's actually really not that hard to make an enemy. Just take an opposite side to someone and you've pretty much got one. You just need a difference with someone. Maybe you have an enemy in your business, in your family maybe. Maybe someone's rivaling for another's attentions. Maybe you've got someone that's hurt you or hated you. And sure, the natural thing to do is to hate them back. And for some of us here today, this issue may run really deep. Some of us might have suffered abuse as a children or may have been deeply betrayed by people in other ways. And I don't want to say anything today that will come over as trite and shallow. And I, and I don't want to say anything that tries to minimise the pain that some of you hold and some of the pain that I hold too. 
And because this is such a tough thing for us to hear and do, I really want to begin today by making a bit of a clarification that will give us a bit of context. And maybe your mum told you this growing up and my mum told me this growing up. We are told to love our enemies, but that doesn't mean we have to like them. In other words, we need to love someone in the sense that Jesus is going to tell us and we're going to go through that this morning. But to like someone is something entirely different. There may be someone who treats you really badly and, and someone who's abused you and someone who, who affects you in a, a negative way. And that doesn't mean that you necessarily need to let them back into your life, that you need to be reconciled to them. It doesn't mean you should hang out with them socially. That's not what God expects. Love is about a choice and it can take a very long time to love and it may not even ever involve reconciliation. There are often many emotions to work through, so much pain to deal with, so much hurt and anger that needs addressing and that can't be done overnight. And I know many of you, as I am on a journey of learning to love better and to treat people better and learning about issues that we have and how to deal with them better and that's what Jesus would ask because I think as we've talked about a number of times over the last few weeks, the, the living in an alternate kingdom is about intentional choices. It's not about having it all right at once, but it's about intentionally choosing God's way, even when it's not the way that we would normally choose. You might say, how could I ever love that person? Even Christians have their limits, don't they? And yes, there are limits, but I think when it comes to love, even Christians put the limits too close. The confusion we have, I think, comes from the world's idea of evil for evil. And Jesus says this as he has regularly on the Sermon on the Mount. You would, you would remember I preached about, or some of you if you were here or watched online, um, you know, you heard that it was said, don't commit murder. But actually, if you're angry, it's the same thing. You've heard that it was said, Jesus said, but actually I'm going to include more people in by changing the parameters. And he does that exactly this week. He said, you've heard that it was said eye for eye and tooth for tooth. Now, the reality is revenge was never part of the, the Hebrew law. It wasn't the intent. This wasn't actually a revenge principle. I read into this a bit this week, or last week actually, and it's actually really interesting. This was a limiting principle on the rich and the powerful because thousands of years ago, unlike today, not, the, the rich and the powerful had strong influence. And back in these times, the rich and the powerful, basically they could say, you stole my donkey, I'm going to take everything you have or I'm going to have you killed or, or something like you took my eye, I'm going to cut off your arm and I'm going to destroy your family and ruin your life. You know, there was this like sense of if you do one little thing to me, I can destroy your whole life. And this was a limiting principle. This wasn't about revenge or get, getting back at somebody. It was about saying, you take my eye, I take yours. You take my arm, I take your arm. It was a, a, a limiting principle. And Jesus is trying to get to that meaning, but then he goes a whole nother level again, just so that we all know that we're part of what Jesus is telling about. He says, it was said, eye for an eye, that's limiting enough, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. Don't resist someone who means you harm. What do you mean, Jesus? And he goes on to give an example, verse 39, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, 
turn to them the other cheek also. Now, this was fairly common apparently 2,000 years ago. People would insult someone by slapping them on the face. It wasn't really against the law. These days, you slap someone on the face, you're likely to be arrested and, you know, charged. But it was still a big deal. It was still very insulting. It was still very offensive. And he goes on with another saying, if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. Don't fight back, give. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Now, I, I don't know if you know, some of you, you would probably know that this was a Roman culture they were living in. The Romans were seen as the enemy. Everyone hated them. And a Roman soldier could force you to take all their battle gear and walk a mile for them, you know, to give them a bit of a break. And they would have to do that. They could force you to do it and people would take it on resentfully and they'd be watching. Well, they probably didn't have their watches to count their one mile, would they? But they'd, they'd be like, you know, checking out and as soon as it got to one mile, they'd be dumping the stuff. But Jesus says, no. If someone says to go one mile, if they force you to go one mile, if your enemies, those Romans, say go one mile carrying my stuff, go the extra mile. It wasn't about going the extra mile for your friends, which I think we find easy enough to do. Love your enemy. Jesus said, if you want to move into this alternate kingdom, this kingdom that I've come to usher in, this better way of living, this is how you treat your enemies and people you don't like. And he goes on with this simple but profound teaching. As I said before, well-known, poorly applied. You've heard it was said, love your neighbour or love your friend, as the message said, and hate your enemy. Now, this is interesting because, generally speaking, he's referring back to the Old Testament, Old Testament law, but it wasn't exactly like that. They, they've kind of twisted the words of even these early words of Leviticus. The people had come to believe something which seemed to be common sense, but wasn't even actually the point in the first place. When Jesus said, you've heard it said, you shall love your neighbour and hate your enemy, he was referring to this verse, Leviticus 19, verse 18, which says, you shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people but you shall love your neighbor as yourself i am the lord pretty clear teaching but the problem was over time it become you know a bit messed up they dropped some bit and added something you notice what they've dropped they've dropped the as yourself they've dropped the extent of love they've dropped the definition of love loving somebody as you love yourself to really take care of them and their feelings and want the best for them. This was kind of left out. But then also they added, as we can all see now, they added, hate your enemy. This was never God's intent. In fact, you hear the verse that says, don't take vengeance nor bear a grudge. It has no place in God's kingdom, not the one that they thought they lived in and certainly not the one that Jesus come to usher in. But I say to you, love your enemies. Now, by the human standards, there's just some people that are not worthy of our love, right? They don't deserve it. It's either a love or a hate relationship. I love them or I love them not. That's how we think we can classify things. But Jesus has this different approach. He says instead of a love or hate relationship, he says a love for hate relationship. If someone hates you, what do you do? You love them. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Love goes well, belong, sorry, well beyond how you feel about something. It's a decision. 
decisions and sometimes do something that's the opposite of what you feel like doing. Let's rein it in a bit to people that we do like. I remember when my kids were young, one night got a knock on the door. I didn't get your permission to Bradley to tell this story, Brad, but you were like three, knock on the door, mum, I've thrown up. You know what enters my head? I just want to sleep. I'm going to be up for hours, got to go clean it up, change the sheets. But actually, because I love, I want to get up. I go, I clean him up, change his sheets, soothe him back to bed. I want to do that. Love chooses to do that because I care about how he feels. But we understand we do that because he's, our child, he's my child, I love him. But it's not natural to understand why we do something like that for someone we don't love, naturally anyway. So that's why love is about having enough concern, having enough concern for someone else's well-being that we choose to do something that's not what we naturally would want to do. It's tough teaching from Jesus, but the practice of loving our enemies is at the heart of the Christian faith. And as we learn to love our enemies, there'll never be any greater demonstration to the world about the love of Jesus. And that's what Jesus came to show. He came to show the world his love and he wants us to be a part of them. And I want to say if there's one thing the world needs from the church today, it's a community of love where people are not judged, a community of kindness that will not tolerate gossip or condemnation where we, we don't talk about people behind their backs, we don't classify them, we don't discriminate against them. We, when people do that, others call them out for, for doing it. That's what the world needs the church to be. It needs to be countercultural. It needs to be alternate. The world needs the church to be a place where only kind words are spoken, where even when we don't feel like it, we intentionally seek to say and do nice things to one another because that is choosing love. Love your enemies using words and actions. And Jesus says, and while you're there, pray. Pray for those who persecute you. No, he's not saying we should pray for them to be struck by lightning, just in case you were wondering whether this was a revenge thing as well. He's not saying that we should pray that their house would fall down on them or that have bad things happen. Rather, he's saying we should pray on their behalf to God. We should, we should pray that God would act in their lives. We should pray that they would be blessed by God, not continue to be our enemies, but that they would see the truth and they would come to understand God and his kingdom. And you know, we've preached on prayer a fair bit because prayer does two things, right? It changes situations. We know prayer works. Prayer is powerful. It changes the things we're praying about. But it also changes us. When we pray for our enemies, we're entering a God-like activity. We begin to see people through God's eyes. Prayer causes us to be more compassionate. Perhaps this is why Jesus encouraged us to pray for our enemies. There's an old hymn, haven't sung for a while. We sung it a couple of years ago. I was going to use it this week, but struggled to fit in everything this morning. But it's, the song is called, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. Beautiful words. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. And the last verse says, do thy friends despise, forsake thee. Take it to the Lord in prayer. In his arms, he'll take and shield thee. In, when you pray, when you pray about the issues with your enemies or your friends who become your enemies, God, it says, in his arms, he'll take and shield thee. Thou wilt find a solace there. God does something to us. 
God helps us to find the peace and the security that we need to cope with our enemies. So why? Why this weird command to love our enemies? Why is it so important? If we're going to pursue something so contrary to to what we're used to, so contrary to what comes naturally, we need to have a pretty good reason for doing it, right? And Jesus gives that in verse 45, I think, why we need to love our enemies. He says, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. There's one reason to love your enemies. You should do it because it's just what God would do and you're part of his family. That's the way God treats them. When we love our enemies, we demonstrate that we are God's children because we act the way he does. We live with the family likeness. We prove our relationship with Jesus and that he's our father. And Jesus gives us two examples of how he does this. It says, he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. It doesn't matter whether we're good or evil. God gives us all his sunshine. Even if we don't acknowledge him or we don't officially belong to him, he gives the world, the whole world, his light, his warmth, his his sunshine that makes their food grow. And then it goes on to say again in verse 45, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Now, sometimes when it's a day that I want to go to the beach, I think rain's a negative thing, but that's not what God's talking about here. Rain is not a negative event. Rain is a positive gift. It waters the earth. He doesn't just supply food for the righteous, but also for the unrighteous. God gives without distinction. He gives indiscriminately. He loves indiscriminately, and that's what he wants us to do. And the reality is, if you want to be a little bit honest with me this morning, sometimes we hate that. We say, it's not fair, God. I'm obeying God as much as I can and my life seems to be falling apart. And I look at my neighbour and his lawn is so much greener than mine. He's getting promotions at work. He's going great guns. His kids are all nice to him. And he doesn't even follow God. And Jesus says, yep, that's how my father operates. God loves everyone. And that's why he wants us to love everyone too. God loves the people who hate him. And that's why he wants us to love the people that hate God. And he wants us to love the people who hate us. And that's really the crux of the whole message this morning. And if we really understand it, we're like, well, it's not that great a message. And then Jesus says, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? The way I would naturally behave apart from these teachings, apart from asking God to help me be different, is I love the people that love me. I'm nice to the people who are nice to me. How about you? But Jesus says to me, okay, Rebecca, verse 46, are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? In other words, you don't need me for that, Jesus says. You don't need me to help you love those who love you. Do not even the pagans do that, in verse 47. God calls us, his followers, to a different standard. One might say to an impossible standard, apart from him, apart from his love for us and apart from his grace in our lives. Because you see, loving your enemy makes no sense until you realize you're the enemy, until I realize that I am the enemy. That's the heart of the Christian message. Jesus came to die for me because I needed someone to die for my sins. When I realize I'm an enemy of God, when I realize that I'm an enemy of, of you, in my natural being, I'm, 
I have to be grateful. I'm so fortunate that the sun rose on me yesterday and again today. That God provided rain for me yesterday and hopefully not too much today because I'm enjoying the sunshine. But God provides for me. God's going to extend his love for me in the midst of my mess in the same way that he'll do for you and the same way that he'll do for your enemies. And sometimes we think that we're better than others, that we're smarter than others, that we're purer than others, that we don't need God as much as others. But when we really come to the point where we realize, I'm a person too, I'm that person, I'm an enemy of God, I'm not perfect, and God poured out everything he had for me, that changes everything. So love your enemies. Pray for them. Want the best for them. And you know, when we say it's impossible, the point that Jesus is saying is that we actually need to live in this alternate kingdom by the power of God. He's asking us to do things that we can't do in our own strength. And so to do this, we have to live by the power of the God. Let go of our own stuff and live in God's strength. And finally this morning, another tough verse as we wrap it up this morning, be perfect, therefore. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. What? Rebecca, you've just said you're not perfect. And God's saying be perfect. That, that word perfect in Greek is often translated mature. And I loved, I don't know if you had a chuckle when you heard Val to read this this morning. I love it from the message paraphrase. I feel like it really gives us some, some understanding about what we need to do this morning. It says, in a word, what I'm saying is this, grow up. Your kingdom subjects now, live like it. Live out your God-created identity. Live generously and graciously towards others the way God lives towards you. Grow up. That's the message today. It's not hard, it's not easy, it's hard, but actually as people of God, grow up. Look to him, grow closer to him. It's not up as in the standard of the world, but it's up in the kingdom, closer to God, less about me and more about God. My daughter's turned 18 a few weeks ago and they've complained a couple of times in the last couple of weeks. I don't like this adulting thing, adulting is hard. Being a follower of Jesus, it's hard. And there's that acknowledgement in the scripture today. Growing up in God's alternate kingdom is hard, but God calls us to the hard, to the better alternative. And I invite you to rely on his strength and ask him to help you do that this week. Let's pray. God, the parts of the Bible that seem simple and clear and that I understand the best also seem very hard. And this morning you know that there's many people in this room that struggle to love some people. God, we pray that you would fill us with your strength, that your Holy Spirit would show us some real practical ways while protecting ourselves, while not exposing ourselves to more hurt and abuse, but ways that we can love. God, today help us bring to mind those we need to pray for, May we see them as your children in need of salvation the same way that we are in need of salvation. And God, as we continue to grow, as we continue to grow more in the things of God, away from the things that buy for our attention in the world, help us to not use the world's tactics, but to use the advice that you give us, to use these calls to grow into who you want us to be. 
may we be changed bit by bit this week as we reflect on your word, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.